you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. So here's what we've done. I've preached 19 sermons in 22 chapters. That's pretty good. <laughs> 22 chapters, 19 sermons. And the reason I got it cut down to that is because we skipped most of the tribulation and I covered a whole bunch of material in, and, uh, in one sermon as far as the tribulation is concerned. But today we come to the end of the book and the end of this series the last portion of the last chapter of the last book in the Bible. These are the last words of the last living apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know some people call themselves apostles, and I'm not here to argue with folks about it. I don't look down on them. I'm not going to criticize them. My personal belief and conviction is that when the apostle John died, there were no more apostles. My understanding of an apostle is somebody that was an eyewitness who saw and heard the Lord Jesus Christ prior to his crucifixion and after his resurrection. They were eyewitnesses who saw him. The Apostle Paul saw those things, um, but he said, I was one who was born out of season. Um, I wasn't there with the other apostles when they were chosen, but he has appointed me and made me an apostle and a witness. He saw some things after the fact. Um, but, but, but John is the last apostle. The oldest apostle, all the others have been martyred, all of the others have, have met their fate, and John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos where God gave him this incredible revelation, this unveiling of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. So these are the last words of the last apostle in the last portion of the last chapter in God's word. And I also believe that they are, these are the last words that were breathed by Christ as Scripture. I don't think there's, there's when, when Revelation was finished, God had said everything he needed to say to man. That the written, the written revelation of God and Christ, of God's plan, God's purpose for mankind was finished. So I don't believe there are any other books outside of this one. I, I, I think what we've got, what God intends us to have. And so these are the last I, I'm, I'm not telling you that Jesus don't speak to us anymore because I think he still speaks to us. But for instance, when he speaks to me and gives me leadership to go do this or go do that or gives me some insight into a dream that I had, um, that's, not the same, that's not in the same category as a God-breathed, inspired scripture that's to be given for everybody's benefit. This finishes it. This, this concludes it. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, what we're going to find out when we read this is that all of the imagery and symbolism that we've been so accustomed to seeing in the book of Revelation, it's, it's all through it. There's a lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery. Some of it's explained for us, some of it's not. Some of it we've speculated about, some of it I think we probably don't have right and still don't have any idea what it means. And, and, and maybe we won't until we see it actually with our own eyes. But John is trying to put in human words, um, in written words, what he saw concerning the final unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that symbolism and all that imagery is missing here. These words are clear. They're very simple words. They're clear words, but they're serious words and sobering words. And so I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to come back, and, and I want to point out just some simple thoughts that, that I see um, that, that we need to take from these last words. Verse 6 says this, He said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which, which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See, thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of, I, of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. 
And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without or outside are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bride and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will... Let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So these simple words. There are not a lot of imagery here, not a lot of symbolism here. Just very clear, simple, profound, but serious and sobering words. I'm going to give you seven thoughts, and I know you think a seven-point sermon, but I'm going to move through most of these rather quickly, all right? Um, but seven thoughts that, I, that, I, that you can draw from these last words uh, in the last chapter, the last portion of the last book of the Bible, the last words of the Apostle John, the last scripture that was breathed to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one, I think, may be one of the most important things that I can say, and that is simply this, that the Word of God is true and faithful. That the word of God is true and faithful. If you look at those words, I'm not going to go back and read them all again, but I gave you the references so you can go back and follow along with me. Um, the, angel, um, the angel's testimony included a validation not only of the words of revelation, not only of the things that John had seen and heard and had written down for us in the revelation, that all of these things um, from Revelation 1 to Revelation 22 are true and faithful. They're going to happen just like God said they would. They're, they're, they're going to come to pass just like he said he would. But the angel's testimony also included a validation of the Old Testament prophets in verse 6. He says that I'm the same one. What I've said to you, what you've seen is faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophets, the same one that God spoke to in the Old Testament and gave those, those words of truth about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, He has spoken to me and I have given them to you in regard to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the angel's testimony validated not just the words of revelation, but also the words of the Old Testament prophets and I believe the New Testament as well. John's testimony is that he just wrote for us what he heard and what he saw. The things that he had written about in the book of Revelation are not things that he fabricated in his own heart and in his own mind. Um, these are the things that John saw and heard. First, um, what, he, what he had seen in the revelation of Christ from the beginning, then that message that Christ gave the church, and then taken up to heaven and see all those things that are yet to come to pass um, that will come to pass on this earth one day. John wrote what he heard and what he Saul, that's his testimony. And Jesus' testimony is very simple. He said, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly and that those who hear and heed the words of this book will be blessed. Now, I too think that Jesus is talking more about the revelation. I think he's talking about the whole book from beginning to end. What the angel said, what the prophet said, what John has written, what the rest of the apostles are written. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly and there is a reward, a blessing and a reward for those who hear the words of this book and do them. I don't know that I can say too much about this. The word of God is true and faithful. This is what we have. This is our revelation. This is what we need to know who we are and to know who God is. To know what we need and to know how God provides that need for us in terms of his salvation, in terms of eternal life. The word of God is true and faithful. There are too many people that are getting too far away from this book. There are too many people that are unhitching themselves from different portions of this book. I'm going to call him by name because I think he deserves to be called by name at this point. Andy Stanley has gone off the rails. 
He started many years ago when he began encouraging people to unhitch themselves from the New Testament. To not, to not worry about the things, or unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. To not worry about the things that the Old Testament says. Listen to me. When Jesus preached, he preached from the Old Testament. When Paul preached, he preached from the Old Testament. When Peter and James and John preached, they preached from the Old Testament. The New Testament writers showed us what the Old Testament writers meant. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. This is all God's word. It's not two different gods. He's not one God in the Old Testament and another God in the New Testament. He's the same God today, yesterday, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a, there's a scarlet thread of redemption that weaves itself all the way through the Scriptures. This book, from beginning to end, is about man's problem with sin and God's solution being the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God is true and faithful. Stay with the book. Stay with the book. The Bible says that it will, when this world is on fire, when it is burning down around us, the Word of God will stand. I'm going to say some more about that in a minute. The second thing that you notice in those next two verses, 8 and 9, is that God alone is worthy of worship. God alone is worthy of our worship. When the angel that came to show these things to John I'm testified about the truthfulness, the faithfulness of those things. Um, when John saw and heard these things, the Bible says that he, he, he testified himself that I fell on my face, that I fell down before this angel that showed me these things. And the angel said, don't do that. I'm not worthy of your worship. Angels are not worthy of our worship. Um, there, there's been, through the last couple of decades, almost and almost... It's almost degenerated to a worship of angels. Um, there was a period during the 90s that I remember very well. That people just got infatuated with angels. The Bible says that Satan himself would disguise himself as an angel of light. We've got to be careful of that business of worshiping anything but God. That angel, listen, any true angel of God, any true angel that God has sent would deny um, you worshiping him. They, that angel would say the same thing to you that this angel said to John. Get off of your face. I'm not worthy of your worship. I'm created. God created me just like God created you. I'm a fellow servant. I'm, I'm one who has been called to serve God. And I serve God for you. And I serve God with you. I am not worthy of your worship. Prophets are not worthy. The angel referred to the prophets of the Old Testament as being his brethren. Not brethren in the sense that they're the same kind of creation. Angels are certainly different than man. In fact, the Bible says that, that angels are lower than mankind in many ways because God's made us the targets of his redemption. Um, but the prophets are not worthy because they're brethren um, to, to us. They're brethren to the angels. They're, all they are, all the prophet is, all the pastor is, all the preacher is, all I am is a mouthpiece for God. What you are is a mouthpiece for God. So this, this angel said, don't you worship me. Don't you worship the prophets. They're brothers to me and brothers to you. Don't you worship the saints. Don't worship anybody or anything else. God alone is worthy of your worship. Every person in this room are sinners that have been cleansed and made holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Not one person in this room is worthy of being uh, venerated or reverenced or worshipped like God is venerated, reverenced, and worshipped. None of us deserve that pedestal. Worship God alone. A significant portion of this, these last words is in verse 10 through 15. In fact, every one of these statements mostly come from two or three verses. But there's a little bit of a, a, an extended dialogue there in verse 10 through verse 15. And here's what I think it says. I'm just going to give you my summary of it. This is what I think is being said there. Is that faith and obedience walk and work together. Now there's some hard things that are said in those few verses. But let me see if I can bullet down for you and, and help, help you understand where I'm coming up with this faith and, work, faith and obedience walk and work together. God's word is the standard for both. We don't get to define faith and we don't get to define what faith does. 
what faith is. And I'm, I'm afraid we've reduced faith to a mere easy believism to a mental assent to something that's true, just to factual information. Um, and I'm going to talk, talk a good bit about faith next week in the homecoming message, about what it is and about what it does. Um, but, but, but faith, if you look at the biblical definition of faith, faith and obedience in the Word of God has always walked hand in hand together. Where there's faith, there will be obedience. Where there's faith, there will be a work that proves that faith. There will be an evidence that proves it. I don't believe, not for one second. I never will preach it. I never have believed it. I'm not saved by the work that I've done. I'm saved by the work that Christ has done. But the Bible tells me that I am created, in, that I am His workmanship, and that I am created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that I should walk in them. So that if I truly trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, there will be an obedient walk and a, an obedient work of righteousness that follow that. So God's Word is the standard for our faith and God's Word is the standard for our, our, for our obedience. God said what He meant and God meant what He said concerning faith and concerning obedience, concerning um, what we profess and what we practice. Um, Ephesians gives us a beautiful picture of how those two must walk hand in hand or the first is not true. Um, James told us that you show me your faith without your work and I'll show you my faith by my work. And so faith and obedience are not enemies. They work together. They walk together through this world. God's word is the standard for both of those. But here's the second thing that, I can, that I'm drawing from this is that the evidence of our life, the evidence of our life is going to testify for us or against us. When we stand before God, it, everywhere you see this in Scripture, the Bible says that we're going to stand before God and give an account of our work. But we're not saved by works. But our works prove our salvation. So, so there's, this, there's this thing that's said there. He that's unjust, let him be unjust still. He that's filthy, let him be filthy still. He that's righteous, let him be righteous still. He that's holy, let him be holy still. And so this, this thing is set before us in that we have a choice. You can be unjust and you can be filthy or you can be righteous and you can be holy. God has given us the standard of faith. And the standard of faith that God has given to us will always walk in obedience to what God said. I'm, a, I'm getting into my message next week. But I want you to understand this. Jesus knows who you are. He, don't, he, he, he doesn't just know who you say that you are. Jesus knows who you are. And a mere profession of faith has never fooled him. He sees the fruit of faith. He sees the work of faith. He sees the walk of faith. More than he ever will see what your lips says, he knows what your heart is truly believing in, truly trusting in, truly loving. You can't just say, Lord, Lord. The Bible says that there will be people who stand before him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and talk about the religious practices that they exercise on this earth. And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you lovers of iniquity. I never knew you. So faith and obedience, you can't separate them. Scripture doesn't separate them. Never has and it never will. The false prophets out there are telling you a lie if they tell you that you can have faith that's not manifested in the things that you do, in the way that you live. If you have biblical faith, it will change your life. It might change it at a different rate than it changed mine. The things that you need to work on may be different things that I had to work on. But it will change our life. It changes our heart. It changes our life. It changes our actions. It changes our words. It changes our attitudes. The next thing that I want to point out to you in this text, and I think it's appropriate that it follows this. You can, listen, if you want to be lost, you can be lost. If you want to be unjust, be unjust. If you want to live your life in a filthy way, then live your life in a filthy way. But if you want to be righteous, you can be righteous. If you want to be holy, you can be holy. So the, so the, 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 the fourth thing that I see in this is that God is extending an invitation to salvation to everybody. We get to choose what we do 
with what God said and what God has offered. God's extension of salvation is seen in verses 16 through 17. It is extended to you in a simple word, and that is come. If you want to be saved, then come to Christ. If you want to be saved, then come to this invitation that He extends to you. And, and I think that you can dig this out of the text yourself. I'm not going to go back and repeat, repeat every phrase again. But I believe this is true. The soul that God put in your body, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions, are pleading with you to come to Christ. There is a hole in your soul that only Jesus Christ can fill. There is a God-shaped vacuum in us, and when Jesus doesn't live in your life, there's an emptiness in His place. There's a hole in your soul. There is a spiritual thirst. You can try to fill it up with everything and anything in this world, but nothing will fill that God-shaped vacuum that is in your heart but a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your very soul pleads inside of you to come to Christ. Before it's too late. Ecclesiastes, there's a verse that says that he has set eternity in our heart. The actually King James Version said he set the world in our heart. Um, but that's not a good translation of that word. If you look it up, that word is translated in other places that God has set eternity or everlasting in our hearts. There is an eternal part of you that is your soul. And they can't nothing fill that part of you but the Lord Jesus Christ. So your soul pleads with you to fill up that emptiness, to fill up that hole, to, to satiate that thirst that exists in your heart, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions that can only be filled with Christ. God's Word pleads with you. If you read this book like it needs to be read, like it should be read, this Word will reveal to you your lost condition and point you to the only remedy for your lost condition, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you, you, I've told you my testimony over and over, and I'll tell my testimony till the day uh, that I die. I didn't even have to read the book that night. I picked it up and opened the pages, and immediately conviction fell upon my heart, and I crawled uh, into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and begged Him to save me. God's Word pleads with us to be saved. It establishes our lost condition. It establishes that the only remedy for our lost condition is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, the spirit and the bride, the, the word said there, the bride says come. Do you know that the only reason the church does what the church does, everything that the church does, all that we do is done to say simply this, come to Jesus for the cleansing blood. Come to Jesus. That's our mission on earth. That is the only reason why we're here. That's the only reason Jesus didn't save us and kill us and take us on to heaven with him. Because we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the soul winners of this world. We are the ones who declare the truth of God's word by the power of God's spirit. We tell the world, come to Jesus. These children's homes that we support. You know what the, the emphasis of every one of those children's homes is? Is that those kids, regardless of the situation that life has dealt them, um, finding themselves in broken homes, finding themselves without, without parents. Uh, in, in Nepal, most of those orphans in that orphanage in Nepal that Zion Hill is the primary supporter of, most of those kids are double orphans, which means both of their parents are deceased or they don't know where they're at, period. Do you know what the emphasis of that orphanage is? Since those two house parents came to Christ through the, through the witness of Tyler Barber, who is a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that whole home is built around this. We're going to make disciples. We're going to make converts to the Lord Jesus Christ and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can take the gospel to this nation that is around us. Every entity that we support as a church has as its primary mission to extend the gospel invitation to the ends of the earth. The church says, come. And if, and if a church is not doing that, they're not doing what God's called them to do. The Spirit says, come. God's Spirit still pleads with man. Listen to me. If you feel conviction for sin, that ain't me. That's Him. Who is Him? That's God, the Spirit, who is pointing you to Christ, the Son, so that you have access to the Father through Him. 
Jesus said, it's good that I go away. Because until I go away, he won't come. But when he comes, he's going to remind you of everything that I've already told you. Um, and he's not just going to be with you, but he's going to be in you. And he's going to convict you of sin. And he's going to convince you of righteousness and of the judgment that is following this. And all of those who hear the voice of the Spirit and respond to the voice of the Spirit in faith will be converted. You want to know why people are saved? It ain't because of the preacher. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's because the Holy Spirit has brought conviction. Because the Holy Spirit has convinced those uh, men or women or boys or girls that they're lost and undone and that the only way that they can be saved is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and when they are converted the Bible says they are born again how are they born again? they're born again because the Spirit of God puts himself in them and becomes Christ to them and Christ in them for the rest of their life the Spirit says come now listen to me I think, I think the Holy Spirit gets credit for a lot of things he ain't got nothing to do with I can give you some illustrations of that, but I ain't going to. If you look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, he's going to point the world to me. He's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me. Why? Because the only mediator that stands between God and men is the man Christ Jesus. And, and man's salvation is God's most important purpose on this earth. And so the Holy Spirit is pleading with men to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The conviction that you feel, the convincing that you, that you have, that you're lost and that Jesus is the answer, that's his work. That's his invitation. That brings conversion into your life if you will hear it and respond to it in faith. And then last, God's son pleads with you. This whole book of Revelation has been about Jesus. Not just who he was, not just what he did, but who he is, what he's doing, and what he will do. This is, the, this is the unveiling. The first words say this is the unveiling of the Lord Jesus. And what is the invitation to you? Come to me. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. And heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to come to Him through His Spirit, through His church, through His Word, and through that emptiness that's in your heart that only He can feel. The fifth thing that I see in this text is that God's word comes with a warning label. God's word comes with a warning label. And it's a pretty simple warning. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't add to it and don't take away from it. Don't try to make it say what you want it to say when it doesn't say it. Don't try to make it say what you want it to say when it does not say it. Now see, sometimes I think we just take this little phrase about don't add to it and take away from it in, in, in this sense. And this is true, by the way. Don't you dare add anything to what has already been written by writing something else. There aren't any other books that need to follow this book. Listen, there are no other holy books. There are no other inspired books. I don't care who wrote them. Some of the greatest Bible scholars on the face of this earth has got some stuff wrong, including this one. I ain't a Bible scholar, but I don't think I got it all right all the time either. But the, but the Word of God is infallible, inerrant, unchanging. It is perfect in every way. It doesn't need any help. It doesn't need anything added to it. But now, but now don't just stop with that. Because you ain't got to write a book to add something to God's Word. You, you don't have to write a piece of paper and declare this ought to be inserted in the book. If you make up your mind that God's Word says something that God's Word did not say, you have added to the Word of God. And there's a warning label attached to that. 
God said what he meant and God meant what he said. So don't try to make it say what you want it to say to accommodate whatever life it is that you want to live because that is adding to the book. And God's wrath will be poured out. God said if you do that, then you're going to experience the plagues that have been mentioned in this book, that have been listed here, that have been seen by John. Those are coming your way. Let's just, I'm going to back up just a second. He gave a list there in those verses preceding that invitation. He, he said, blessed are those that, that keep the commandments of this book because they they've got a right to walk into that city and to eat from that tree of life. And then he gave another list and said, these people ain't going to be there. These people will not have access to this city. They're on the outside. Dogs. Not a dog like runs around the yard, although that is the word that's translated. But in Scripture, it means a man who has no morals. Impudent. If you look it up in Strong's, that's what it's going to say is the word impudent. Um, in the Old Testament, there was an association with male prostitutes who were called dogs. Bring not the price of a whore of, or of a dog into the temple. That was female prostitutes and male prostitutes. It is a man without moral convictions if you look around in our world today we're living in almost an, a, an amoral a-m-o-r-a-l a means no amoral means no moral values and you know what I found is that people are making up their own morals as they go and, and what they used to think was wrong they don't think is wrong anymore because somebody in their family is now doing this or because they've decided to do this so it's alright um, that, that is not objective truth that, that is you making truth subject to your own wishes and whims and that is not the word of God Jesus said immoral people people who have no morals and then he gave a list I think the word dogs um, is a word that he uses to describe this whole list of people. Um, sorcerers. The word is pharmakeia, which is, which is people who deal, it's not a pharmacist, it's not somebody who's using drugs for the reason God gave them to us for. Um, when, when, when medications are used for the right reason, they're a gift from God. When they're abused, they become tools of the enemy. But this specifically is talking about people who practice the magic arts, who use um, these types of things to influence or induce some kind of psychosis in people. Um, whoremongers, that is all sexually immoral people. And anything that is anything sexual in a human being's life is outside the context of a man and a woman in covenant marriage is a whoremonger. Murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. When you make up your own versions of what you believe is true, there is no access to the city. So, so Jesus warned us that his word cannot be added to and it should not be taken from. Don't diminish its words or its warnings because there are eternal consequences to it. Um, I had to be careful that my righteous indignation toward these false prophets don't get the best of me because I promise you, I really do want to hit some of these guys. I mean, I, I posted one yesterday that's wearing a, he's supposedly a Presbyterian pastor. And one reason I posted this is because he's talking specifically about Revelation 22. And um, in fact, he's talking about 21 and 22 because he talked about how heaven, um, that the, the picture given of heaven wasn't at all um, something that was appealing to him, that it wasn't inclusive enough, that it wasn't diverse enough, and that it looked like a, a cheap, gaudy hotel lobby. You know, it's kind of his description of it. And then he made light of these warning passages and, and basically said, give me something better than that. He's diminishing the words that the apostle wrote and said, that never should have been written. That shouldn't have been in the canon of Scripture. There's another guy's last name is Macmillan. He always weaves just enough truth in there to try to hook people. And he's got, a, he's got the grin that makes me want to smash him because he's telling these lies with a smile on his face and a mockery in his voice of people. But he, let me tell you, his favorite thing to do is to tell you what God's word doesn't say. 
His favorite thing to do is tell you what God's word doesn't say. In fact, one that I watched last week said, God's word doesn't tell you to repent over and over and over again. You don't have to repent but one time. Once you've repented one time, it's all covered under the blood. You do whatever you want to. You don't need to repent anymore. The Bible tells me that I, my Bible tells me that I, I need to repent every time I sin, that I need to confess every time I sin, that I need to come clean with God, that I need to be transparent. Not that I'm saved over and over and over again, but that I need to repent of sin every day of my life. This man is fond of telling you what the Bible doesn't say. He is taking away from its words. He is diminishing the warnings that Scripture gives. In fact, he'll tell you every warning that's given in the New Testament is not given to Christians, it's given to non-believers. That does such a disservice. When the book of Hebrews was written, it was written to Jewish Christians. When the book of Romans was written, it was written to Roman Christians. Actually, it was written to all Christians. Romans was. It's the Magna Carta of our faith. Don't diminish the words or the warnings. Jesus said if you do add to it or take away from it, there are eternal consequences for it. The sixth thing is that it's simple. Jesus said it three times in verse 7 and verse 17 and in verse 20. I'm coming quickly. Now the word doesn't... When Jesus used the word quickly, he doesn't mean that I'm coming soon. Although he could say, I'm coming soon, because in the, in, in, in the time for God, we, we sang a song. From before time began, you were on your throne, and you were God alone. Time has no bearing on God. So he could say, he could say I'm coming soon, and it could be 2,000 years. And time is meaningless to him. But the word that he used quickly does not mean when he's coming. It means how he's coming. There's an urgency to his words. He said them three times. In the end of the book, in the last words of the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, written by the last apostle, the last inspired scripture, Jesus said three times, I'm coming quickly. There's an urgency. Why does he say that three times? Why in these last words does he emphasize the fact that he is going to come suddenly? Because there won't be any more warnings. No, no more alarm bells are going to sound. Jesus is sounding the alarm in Revelation 22. We're not going to get a two-minute buzzer warning and say you got two minutes to get it right. He's coming. In fact, he, he used this description when, when he's talking about it in the parables. He said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And he said, if you had known what hour the thief was coming, you would never have let him in. But I'm coming like a thief in the night. That's one picture he gives. An another picture that he gives is I'm like the lightning. I shared that illustration, Christy, at the ball field the other night. Like the lightning travels from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Like lightning flashing across the sky. And then Paul used this imagery in, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye how long does it take you to blink your eyes Jesus said that's how I'm coming there's an urgency in the warning not one of us know when the trumpet is going to sound at his return not one of us know when we're going to breathe our last breath I know we all like to think that we're going to have, we're going to have an opportunity to, to look back over our life on our deathbed and reflect on it and whatever ain't right make it right and but there's no, there's, listen, we, nobody in this room has a guarantee of that. Some of you wasn't here when Brother Billy Hugh Thomas was here. Brother Billy Hughes, this pulpit and communion table, Dean built them, but the vision was all Billy Hughes. He died before we got this building finished. Mickey got saved at Billy Hughes' funeral. So did Brother Dean that built this. Because Brother Billy always told me, you preach the gospel. You don't worry about me, you preach the gospel to my friends and family members that are here. I heard Brother Billy Hughes say all the years I was with him, he said, he's healthy, man. He walked, I don't know how many miles a day. The, day. the day that he died, he put a roof on Brother Dean's barn for him. Retired from the railroad, built his own house. I mean, it, this guy's as healthy as you'd think any man was. But I heard him say a bunch of times in, in his life, man, I hope when the Lord gets ready to call me home, 
that he turns me out like a light switch. Billy Hugh was a baby when his mama died. He got ejected from the car. He said, I had three godly women in my life who influenced me that I got the privilege to call mama. They're the reason I am who I am today. And he said, when, when, when the Lord's ready to call me home, I hope he just turns me out. When I got to his house that night, I got the phone call. He's sitting at his, at his bar, sitting on a bar stool with my favorite meal in front of him, pork chops, rice and tomato gravy. I saw Billy Hugh pray thousands of times. He always put his hands beside his plate like that. I, eat, I don't know how many meals with him through the years. He'd always put his hands behind his plate and ask, ask the Lord to bless it and thank you for it. His hands were laying in his plate and his, hand, his face was between his hands. He never left the bar stool. The Lord turned him out like a light. Salt and pepper shaker on the left hand, glass of sweet tea, melted ice in it on the right hand. Forks never left the bar. He'd been sitting on the bar stool so long they couldn't straighten him up when they got him off of it. Four or five hours. You don't know when he's going to call you home. You don't know when he's going to call you home. We don't know when the trumpet's going to sound. We don't know when our heart's going to beat its final beat. I think that's why Jesus gave that warning. This is it. You don't need to know anything more other than I'm coming suddenly for you. And then the last thing is simply this. Those that look for him or those that love him look for him. After everything, John, John saw some horrific stuff. Would you agree? I mean, we didn't dig into the tribulation very much, but what John saw and heard, what happened on earth or what will happen on earth, what John saw in the future, was awful. But what he saw beyond that left him with this come, Lord Jesus. Even so, after everything that I've seen and everything that I've heard, come, Lord Jesus. Why did he say that? I, I think... When, when, when you say that those who love him look for him, we look for him because we long for him. Because listen to me. Jesus is all my hope and peace. I ain't going to make it without him. I don't have any hope of there being a life beyond this life if Jesus ain't who he said he was and if he didn't do what he said he would do. You understand that? The Bible says if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Only man to ever prove to me that there is life beyond my last breath is the man who rose from the dead and conquered it. He is all of my hope. He is all of my peace. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father. He is life and life abundantly and eternally. You studied that in your Sunday school uh, lesson this morning. Uh, in, him was, in Him was light and, and the light was the life of men. He gives life as God gives Life, because He is God, manifesting human flesh. Everything that that I know and believe, all of the promises of God about forgiveness of sin, about being made a new creation, about having an abundant and victorious life on earth, all of the promises of God about having and eternal everlasting life in heaven, all of those things are wrapped up in Jesus. The Apostle Paul said all of the promises of God in Him, that is in Jesus, are yes, and in Him, amen. I'm looking for Him because I love Him and I long to be where He is.
forever and ever. I don't dread Jesus' return. I dream about it. When we sing the songs in the hymn book that talk about heaven, that talk about His return, that talk about the reward of our faith, it's all wrapped up in Jesus coming back quickly and doing what He promised that He would do. Um, I'm anticipating it with joy. I wish He came today. I, I, I know some people say, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. I wanna, I, uh-uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. All, my family... And I know all of you can't say this. I got a brother Wednesday who poured his heart out who was a pastor who talked about two of his sons. One of them is no longer a believer and one of them is so mixed up about what he believes. Um, he's, he doesn't have any assurance of their salvation. And, and listen, my heart hurts for him and I pray for the, we prayed for those boys Wednesday morning in his life. I can't imagine. But this is what I know. My family's in the fold. And this world's going to hell in the handbasket but my family's in the fold. And I'm ready for Him. And I'm anticipating Him. I want everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. But we've done what we can do. You've heard the message of the gospel. It's been extended. Everybody's saying to you, come. And so listen to me. I want Jesus to come. He come this afternoon. He come now as far as I'm concerned. I'm not dreading it. I'm dreaming of it. I don't look forward to it um, in fear. I look for it with anticipation and with joy. Like a kid looking for Christmas morning that's going to last forever. Because that's what eternity is going to be. Jesus is going to be with us. And we're going to be with him forever and forever and forever. Emmanuel will be upon the throne. God with us. I'm ready. I'm looking for him. I'm longing for him. I love him. Everything that I hope and dream for is wrapped up in who he is and what he's done for me. And I just want to ask you this morning, is that you? Would you agree with me that last words are some of the most important words? Have you ever thought about it? If you, if you have an opportunity to say anything to your family or your friends before you die, what would your last words be? These are the last words. Jesus, last apostle alive, the last words Jesus would canonize as inspired scripture. Last words are important. They, they're not there to be ignored. They're there to be heard, to be believed, and to be applied. If you're not saved this morning, why? Are you ready to be saved? Then here's what the Bible says, come. Come now. Why do you want to wait? Why do you want to wait when you know all of that is true? Why would you put it off? I remember Bobby Jackson preaching an evangelistic crusade one time, and, he's, and, he, and he just asked the question. He's like, if, if not now, when? Tell me when. Tell me what you're waiting on because I want to come knock on your door when that day comes. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you have the mentality, not now, not today, um, then you'll have another excuse. You set the date on the calendar. You tell me when to show up at your house. I'm not ready today, preacher, but I'll be ready on October the 14th. I'll be at your house on October the 14th, and I'll bet you everything that I got that on October the 14th you'll find another reason not to be ready. Here's the truth. You need to be ready when he comes. You need to be ready when he calls. You need to be ready now. You need to be ready today. If you're not saved, you need to be. You must be born again. Or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Last words. Read them. Believe them. Apply them. Why? You can. Let's stand together. Lord, I thank you. For this book, for every bit of it, from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's all we need is your grace. That's, that's what we're saved by is your grace. We don't deserve it. We don't merit it. We can't earn it. But you'll give it to us freely.
when we simply trust Jesus as the Savior and Lord of our life. When we surrender ourselves completely, fully to Him. I pray somebody here this morning would find that grace to be all sufficient in their life. I pray that you would help us as your people. Every one of these last words is worthy of repeating. It's worthy of us telling somebody. It's worth us even sounding a warning alarm for those who are not yet ready. So I pray you'd help us as Christians take all this to heart. Make application in our lives. Shout it into the lives of others. Just have your will and your way in this invitation. I'm not going to try to take what role is not mine. You can do through the work of the Holy Spirit a work that is both real and eternal. And I trust you to do that. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to plead. I'm not going to play on their emotions. If there's conviction of sin in this place, if there's a convincing of righteousness and of judgment, then, then everything that they need is there for them to accept that invitation and come. I pray don't let anybody walk out of the doors of this building this morning still lost, still unprepared. Have your will and your way, Holy Spirit. Glorify the Son. We'll praise you for all you do in Jesus' name.